This podcast is offered by the San Francisco Zen Center on the web at www.sfcc.org. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. Happy New Year. Let me get back to gallery view so I can see you all. It's nice to see your faces and your names. And um, hi, <laughs> hi friends. Um, first, I'd like to thank Nancy for inviting me to give this talk. Thank you, Nancy. And um, I also would like to thank my teachers and friends at San Francisco Zen Center, um, especially senior Dharma teacher Paul Heller and Abbott at Sedasan. Thank you so much for your support. Um, I also want to mention um, uh, yesterday was the anniversary of uh, the passing of Sojin Roshi, Sojin Mel Weitzman. It's, uh, it's been a year and I want to express my gratitude for him also. Um, so we are in January 2022. I always have to think <laughs> when I say the year now. And so it's a new year. And uh, by Chinese calendar, uh, those of you who don't know me, I'm from China. But by lunar calendar, we're still in the 12th month of the year of Ox. And the new year will start um, on February 1st. And that will be the year of Tiger. So we are in this um, transitional time and this month is um, the month of transformation from the cold the coldest time of winter to spring uh, in China the lunar new year is also called the spring festival although it's still quite cold it's just um, it's the sign that spring is on the way. And so today I intend to take you on a tour to China without having to go anywhere. <laughs> I guess this is the benefit of uh, having Zoom. <laughs> and, um, but before I start, uh, show, to show the slides, I, I want to talk a little bit about the seasons, the month of uh, January or the 12th lunar month or winter time. I'll spend a few minutes on that. Um, so around this time, there are quite a few um, 
holidays or festivals in China, and one of which is um, the eighth day of the 12th month, which is the Buddha's Enlightenment Day. In China, it's celebrated uh, by lunar calendar. So it will be Monday, the 10th, next week. And at Zen Center here, we already celebrated uh, this, day, this uh, Buddha's Enlightenment Day last month because uh, in Japan, I believe uh, they go by Western calendar. Uh, um, so December 8th, last month, we celebrated it here. And um, in China, they're going to celebrate it uh, next Monday. And that, that day, um, we celebrate the awakening of the Buddha. And it's also the kind of the coldest time of winter in China. And it's be between um, a day called minor cold and a day called major cold on, in the 12th month of cal uh, lunar calendar. And um, so even though um, there, it's very cold at this time, life still happens. In fact, uh, some of the lives really strive in this time. And uh, one, one of the trees in uh, one kind of the trees, um, really, they actually burst out flowers when snow falls. And that's uh, the Chinese plum blossom. Um, so I believe they, they are different varieties from the plum trees, the plum trees here in the Bay Area. Uh, in Northern China, there are um, plum trees that flower um, actually in Southern China as well. They flower in winter. And so uh, in Chinese culture, um, it's considered uh, one of the three friends of winter. So in Chinese art or paint, painting or poetry, you also hear or see plum blossoms. And the three friends are pine, bamboo, and plum blossoms. And because they, um, they, they, they are very resilient in winter. And plum blossom is a symbol of beauty and hope and strength and courage in harsh times. So um, there are many poetry, many poems, uh, many paintings um, that 
uh, depict plum blossoms. And one of them I'd like to share with you is a poem by a Song Dynasty poet called Fang Yue. Uh, this would be around the uh, 12th, 13th century. Let me share a screen. Here we go. Can you see it? Okay. So this poem is called Snow and Plum Blossoms. Plum blossoms without snow somehow lacks spirit. Snow without poetry is just mundane. I finished a poem at sunset when snow starts to fall. Together with plum blossoms, we create the perfect spring. So the, the poet says here that um, on this snowy day, um, well, uh, the plum blossoms, although they are beautiful, without the snow, uh, something is missing. And even with the snow, it's still just ordinary. What makes it special is what we create from the plum blossoms and the snow. Together, we transform the winter to spring. And um, so I thought it's a beautiful poem. And how how do we create this perfect season, create a perfect spring, a perfect uh, season, whatever that is, from the conditions of our life, the beautiful things, the challenging things. And um, in nature, in nature, um, the energy, the chi from heaven and from earth, they are constantly interchange, they constantly transform things. And we, uh, human being, as part of nature, we constantly receive energy from nature, from heaven and earth. And how do we create our life from what we receive? And this is a great question. In uh, harsh winter or difficult times, how do we become friends 
of the winter or in winter? How do we become friends of each other? How do we transform from one season to another together? Um, how do we take refuge in each other, in the community? And how do we take refuge in practice? These are the questions that um, I would like to ask myself and I would like to encourage you to ask yourself. And um, so that um, uh, brings me to the next topic, which is a slideshow I created uh, from some pictures I took uh, quite, quite a few years ago uh, in China. And I want to take you there and see how how the plum blossoms and the snow are part of the creation of the community there. So let me try to um, share screen again. Let's see, where are we? I just tried to share screen. Matt, did you see it? It didn't come up. Um, it didn't come up? Try one more time and I will um, share screen if it doesn't work. Okay, hold on. Okay, let's try again. Here we go. Next slide. Okay. So I talked uh, a bit about the plum blossoms before this because I named this um, slideshow snow and plum blossoms and uh, it's about a winter retreat that I participated at the fourth ancestors monastery in China uh, around this time in 2011. Um, can you all see it now? Yeah, great, great. So I'm going to um, go to the next. 
So I want to show just uh, briefly a map of China. Can you see my arrow also? The arrow from my com uh, computer, yes, okay. So because I put a star here, uh, but it's not a good color for the star. So, so the place I went to uh, is in Hubei province. And um, that's uh, the temple that the fourth Chinese Zen ancestor started. And here's the mountain gate. The temple is located near a mountain called Twin Peaks. So there is a Twin Peak over there also. And um, just to give you a little background about uh, this temple. So uh, the fourth ancestor's name is Dai Xing, Master Dai Xing. Uh, we chant the Buddha's and ancestors' name every weekend here at city center. And um, so when the Chinese ancestors' sessions begins, it's the fourth one, Dai Xing, Dai Xing, And uh, his name means um, great healer, way trust. And he lived in the 600s. And one significance about him was that he was the first Zen teacher who actually gathered people, gathered his disciples together and lived together and started farming and support themselves. So this was um, in early days. Uh, so the um, community living in the Zen tradition started uh, from him. And um, just go back a slide. So, so here uh, in the town, there's a town called Huangmei. That's where he lived. Huangmei in Chinese means yellow plum blossom or yellow plum. And in the same town, uh, this master's disciple who became the fifth Zen ancestor, uh, who became the teacher of the sixth ancestor, Huineng, Master Huineng. Uh, so, so the fourth and fifth ancestor live in the same town uh, in Huangmei. And the sixth ancestor uh, initially lived in Guangdong province, and then he went up here and came back to teach in Guangdong. And so, so there's the, a brief history uh, of Zen in China. And so um, the mountain gate, uh, when you go to the temple, you, you are greeted with the mountain gate. And then 
And then there is the temple gate, and the temple is very big, and it's walled. There is a wall. Um, as you read stories and koans uh, of Chinese Zen, you often hear about the wall, the gates of temples. And so here is the main gate of this temple. And after you enter the gate, there is a, a courtyard. And in the courtyard, there is a, a, a wall. On the wall, uh, there's an inscription of the fourth ancestor's teaching. And that this is a teaching that he gave to uh, Master Farong, his student, who became the uh, oh, sorry, who became the founder of the Oxhead School later. Uh, so this this poem says, "Mirrored Dharma gates return to one square inch." Innumerable miraculous virtues are always at the source of the heart or mind. And um, so the square inch in Chinese means this little area in your chest where, where you can feel your heart. So basically it says, mirrored dharma gates, uh, literally actually it's, it's hundreds and thousands of Dharma gates all return to this one little square inch where our heart is. And the second line is, says about the same thing, innumerable miraculous virtues or, or merits are always at the source of the mind. That's a beautiful teaching, and that's probably uh, one of the most famous quotes of this master. And, um, and so the temple is very big, and it's built on the hill on, on um, so from one from the front gate to the Buddha hall, you have to climb a long flight of steps to the Buddha Hall, and this is the, the front of the Buddha Hall. And uh, let me see if I can. And then you climb another flight of steps. There is, this is the Ancestor Hall. Uh, same, similar to our Kaisando here, except that this Ancestral Hall is a very large hall with um, the founder um, um, uh, seat, um, well, the fourth ancestor seat inside, and also the subsequent um, masters who resided in that temple. So there are many, many names of ancestors in the founder's hall. And then you go up, you keep going up the hill, there's the lecture hall and the, the sutra library. And back to 
the Buddha Hall, in front of the Buddha Hall, there's a large plaza kind of place, uh, uh, open space. And on each side of the open space are a drum tower. This is a drum tower. On the other side, which is not in the picture, is a bell tower. And early morning and late at night, um, the monks play drums and ring the big bells and uh, sing beautiful chants. And so you wake up to these beautiful chants and go to bed with these beautiful chants. And essentially they, they are prayers. They are prayers for um, peace and well-being for all sentient being. And so this open space is used uh, oftentimes when there are big ceremonies and holidays because there could be hundreds and thousands of people who come to the temple and they will gather uh, in this space because the Buddha hall is not going to fit everybody in. And on one side, or well, on the side, there's, a, there's the dining hall here, and then above is the guest house. And I stayed on the top floor of this guest house. And from there, you can see the view uh, of part of the temple. And then uh, a little in the distance, on the other mountain, there's this little building here. It's the stupa of the fourth ancestor. And it's still the original structure uh, from the 600s. And the temple ground here, um, uh, most of these buildings have been uh, rebuilt and rebuilt and rebuilt again over the centuries. Um, but there are a few original structures that you can still find. And then the stupa is one of them. And you can see uh, in the courtyard here outside the dining hall and the guest house, uh, these are the plum trees. And the town is named after these yellow plum flowers. They are very special because uh, most plum flowers we see in China are pink and these are yellow. And when I arrived, it didn't snow, but one night it snowed and then these yellow plum blossoms just bursted open overnight when snow fell. And that was just the most beautiful um, scene, snow scene I had seen. And here's more snow and uh, more snow on uh, the plum flowers and uh, snow on the cypress trees. And uh, there are a couple of cypress trees, cypress trees in the temple, which is not in this picture. Uh, According to legend, they were planted by the fourth ancestor. 
and so they they are uh, like over let's say 1500 years old and this is the zendo um, by the way i'm i'm going to just run through the whole slideshow and then uh, if you have questions, you can ask me later. Uh, is everything okay so far? Good. Uh, you're welcome to get your tea and popcorns. <laughs> I'll try to be as entertaining as possible here. Okay, so this is the Zendo, um, the Zendo area. So th there is a gate that opens to the outside. And uh, like I said earlier, the temple is big and then there's a wall surrounds the, surrounding the temple. And then this is one of the few gates. And uh, so when there's a, there's a story I like to share, when I arrived, um, I arrived kind of late in the evening around, let's say, eight o'clock. It was in the dark and, um, and the taxi dropped me off right outside this gate. And, uh, and it happened so that this gate was open. The other gates were closed. Uh, that was, I found out later because uh, people were in Sushin, but it was during Qinghin or, or walking meditation in between the sitting meditation. So there were people out in the courtyard and they opened the gate. And oh, I didn't tell you, I went there because I wanted to um, participate in the meditation retreat during uh, this uh, month. Um, and there, it's similar to our Ruhatsu session here in the city, uh, city center. And so every winter they, they hold uh, this uh, winter retreat, winter ongo uh, for actually quite, quite many weeks. So, so the winter retreat there at that time that year was seven week. So they were having a seven week session and I arrived in the middle and, and I had no idea what, what I was getting myself into. And when I arrived, um, I arrived with the suitcase and people grabbed my suitcase at the door, at the gate. And then they got the guest manager, the Shika and, and there were people in the meditation hall, the Zendo, they were doing walking meditation. And then the guest manager grabbed my suitcase, said, hurry up, let's put your suitcase in your room. Um, Zazen uh, or meditation is going to start in 10 minutes. <laughs> so I ran with him to the guest room and put my suitcase down and then ran back in the dark. And then they kind of uh, just pushed me in the zendo and, and the bell ran and the walking meditation ended and then uh, zazen started right when I entered. <laughs> and so I started my, my retreat like that. And 
that was that was really fun. And this is what it looks like inside. Uh, there's no heat in any of the buildings. So, so everybody is given these um, thick blankets and comforters. So on each seat, um, you can see people are all wrapped up and it's snowing outside, but people are all wrapped up inside doing meditation. And the um, walking meditation is fast. It's fast walking and people uh, circumambulate the center where a big uh, Buddha statue is. So in the center of the meditation hall, there's a big Buddha statue and then people do walking meditation, just uh, circumambulating that statue. And people walk in different speeds, different pace and the there is the fast lane in the toward the center and the slow lane toward the outside. So coming from a very slow uh, walking meditation habit, I, I, um, I always walk on the outside circle very slow, um, well, already faster than our pace here. And it's not uh, until the very end of Sashin, I kind of uh, change lanes <laughs> closer to the center. And so uh, when it's time for meals, uh, a monk ring the unpan, yunban, uh, yunban, uh, cloud board. So it's in the shape of cloud and outside the, the dining hall. And, and they serve the meals. Uh, we all sit on a long bench, uh, rows behind rows of long tables. And we sat on long, narrow, long benches. And everybody has two bowls. One bowl, uh, you put rice or uh, steam buns or noodles, and the other bowl, you put vegetables and tofu uh, the, and the side dishes in. So there are usually quite a few, quite a few things every meal. And then they, the servers are very fast. They just kind of zip through all the rolls and, and give you, offer uh, food to you. And then they will serve, um, seconds and even thirds. And these are the servers are all volunteers and they are very um, they are very kind of fluid. Like, you know, every day people or some volunteers just just stand up and go grab the grab the um, uh, containers and then they just come down the rows to serve um, those who are sitting uh, at the table. And um, there's noodle soup, as you can tell. And um, so on the eighth day of the 12th month, the, the Buddha's enlightenment day, we had a day off. And after the morning ceremonies, 
we all pile into the kitchen to make dumplings. And that's, uh, we had a big feast. Everybody went, went well, we, we all cleaned the temple and we went to the kitchen. Well, we cleaned the temples before the ceremony, the day before, I think. And then we had the ceremony. And then after the ceremony, we had a day off. And that's when everybody was in the kitchen, um, helping out, making dumplings. And this young woman uh, is making this, these delicious pancakes. And I was just watching um, uh, kind of with fascination how, how well she handled the pancakes. Um, those of you who know me at City Center, um, I like to cook and I'm, when I cook with the community, I'm often the one who's, who is uh, in front of the stove. Uh, but over there, I, get, I got to be um, a helper. <laughs> I got to be uh, the watcher and the helper. And that was, that was also wonderful. And, and this is the, this man is the main cook of, in the temple. Um, uh, he, he is not the Tenzo, the kitchen manager, but he is the main cook. He cooks most of the meals. And he is the, the most, um, the most welcoming and uh, pleasant, happy man there. And uh, because there is no heat in the building, in the guest room, I always <laughs> found myself go visiting the kitchen after the meals because it's a little warmer there. And he always greets me with the, this big smile and then take me to a little stove in the corner of the kitchen, um, uh, like a, a little stove on the floor with a few charcoals burning inside. And then he always said, come here, come here, sit down. And then he made me sit down next to the little, grow, uh, little stove. And then I warm my hands on the stove. That was my routine after lunch. And, um, and so, uh, things are, well, in the Zendo, things are very formal, very strict, but outside the Zendo, things are very, very friendly and very um, informal. And uh, we had lots of teas uh, on the day off and after uh, the retreat ended. And so, so this is um, in the center over here is uh, Venerable Chongdi. He he was the temple director. And this is Venerable Mingji. Uh, at the time, he was the head of practice. Uh, same as Tanto here. Um, so he was head of practice back then. And uh, now he's the abbot there. And so over here is Marco, who came from uh, Germany. 
he was the uh, only uh, foreigner who joined the retreat. And he, he doesn't speak much Chinese. So he followed me around wherever I, I go. <laughs> And so we had tea with uh, uh, Master Chongdi and Master Mingji. And actually, um, uh, with Master Mingji, we were actually having a practice discussion. And uh, this picture was taken, I think, after we finished. And uh, we probably already cleaned up the table. But anyway, it was funny because um, uh, when we asked Mingji uh, if we could talk to him, he said, oh, just come after lunch. And so we talked for a bit after lunch. And then, uh, and then we were still like talking and very, um, we were all like very um, into the things we were talking about. And then he looked at his watch and said, why don't we all go take a nap and then come back and continue. So, so we came back after our nap and then we talked for another hour and that was wonderful. And so, um, um, hold on. So it's very, um, um, I don't know, it's a very different style. Um, there's a lot of tea uh, every time we talk we will sit down for tea and then we talk over tea. And uh, at the end of the retreat, um, I took this picture when everybody was trying to line up to take a group picture. And I think that's very universal. Uh, anywhere we do retreats, we, we like a group picture at the end. And after um, we finished uh, the retreat, I stayed a few more days and uh, visited the fourth ancestor stupa. And so it's situated uh, on a adjacent mountain, uh, not far from the temple. And so this is the gate to the stupa. And then you have to climb up many uh, steps to go up the mountain. And the stupa is uh, built, was built on the mountain. And I went with a, a young man from Beijing. He was a journalist and he was one of the volunteers who helped uh, to create the, the magazines for the temple. And uh, all of these um, journalists or editor volunteers, uh, they came to Sishin also. And so um, he and I uh, went up the mountain. Uh, we, we did three steps and a prostration up the mountain. And because I, I got sick during the retreat and I wasn't doing very well and he, he was a little worry about me so he he offered to came to come with me and help me carrying you know you get very sweaty or you get warm after some time and I have to take my jacket off and have things you know 
he carried things for me and he did the bows with me and it was very sweet. And so, so we came up to the stupa and it's a beautiful structure uh, that's from the original time. And I felt, I still feel a um, affinity with the fourth ancestor because uh, uh, he was a great Zen master and also a great healer. And there is there are lots of stories about him um, helping people, healing people in that time. So um, I just went to pay respect uh, to him. And there is a nunnery near the main temple and it's part of the temple system, but uh, in a separate location, uh, it's probably about half mile or one mile away. And the nuns live in, in, the, in the buildings there. It, it's quite beautiful. And I don't have um, much time to show all the pictures from there, but everything there is a little more feminine, like the Buddha hall uh, is quite lovely and it's very feminine. And then there's this beautiful young nun. Um, I just love her smile. And uh, after the retreat, uh, Venerable Chongdi um, took us out outside the temple, uh, just, just right outside the temple, um, there is a bridge. Um, there is a creek or, yeah, there's a creek that runs under the bridge along uh, the, the property, the, the, the temple ground. And there are a lot of big boulders. And, um, and on these big boulders, um, people over the centuries, um, over a thousand years, they carve poetry and they carve uh, words on these big boulders. They are beautiful. And then that day we tried to make rubbings of the, the carvings. And in summer, the creek becomes more like a river. It's, uh, so this is under the bridge. In summer, there's a, the, the water mark will go up, but in winter, there's much, much less water. So it goes down. And then all the boulders will, uh, will show, will surface. And we get to see all the, all the carvings. And one of the boulders in the bottom has these two characters, Xi Xin, washing the mind. So all year round, when the water washes the washes the, the boulder, you don't you don't see these characters. But in winter, when the water is low, you see it washing the mind. And this is the youngest resident in the temple. Uh, his name is Yuan Lai, original coming. He was six at that time, and he must be 17 now. He, he, he was just the cutest boy, and he loved to help. And this is 
his mom, and this is during work period, they were helping to make envelopes. And so the magazines were printed and then they were going to mail the magazines to, to the members. And they, they did everything from scratch. They, they make their envelopes from scratch. So this little guy, along with all these other people, they were just making envelopes uh, that morning. And Master Chongdi, um, he, or Venerable Chongdi in, in Chinese, we address the monks with a title, uh, Chongdi Shi, uh, Venerable Chongdi. Um, he, he is uh, really, really friendly and um, happy guy. And he has these big smiles all the time on his face. And at the end, at the very end of our days there, he took us around and he even uh, took us, you know, the, the, the people who came from out of states or out of the country, there were quite a few of us, maybe I want to say 10 of us. And uh, he saw us off all the way to Wuhan. So Huang Mei was a few hours it's a few hours drive from the big city Wuhan. You've all heard of Wuhan now. <laughs> so that day on the departure day, he got a, a SUV. I think it's a little bit like the SUV we use in Tassajara. It's like a nine seat or seven seat SUV. And we packed 15 people in there and we drove to the city from Huangmei for a few hours like on bumpy roads and um, so being a, a, a very good Chinese host he took us to a famous Taoist uh, restaurant for our last meal and there was our feast and so the yellow plum flowers, um, snow, yeah, snow and yellow plum flowers, friends of winter. And that's uh, my sweet memories of, uh, of my time at the Fort Ancestors Temple. And, um, so that concludes this slideshow. And I like to dedicate this, these uh, pictures and memories to um, the triple treasure, Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And may we all take refuge in the triple treasure during uh, harsh days. And happy days. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the San Francisco Zen Center. Our Dharma talks are offered at no cost, and this is made possible by the donations we receive. Your financial support helps us to continue to offer the Dharma. For more information, visit sfcc.org and click Giving. May we fully enjoy the Dharma.